0: Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Well, today we'll be studying in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll be teaching from the New uh, Living Translation for clarity. We want to make everything crystal clear for you here. So let's get started on our study today. I'm reading again 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ, who have been put in charge of explaining God's secrets. Now, because of the division among the saints in Corinth over leadership, they've been dividing uh, over who their favorite leader was. So Paul uh, was compelled to carefully define the, the role of those who were chosen to be leaders in the church. He wanted them to understand what their role was, not to put themselves up and to divide the church or have uh, uh, divisions and following different followings. But he wanted them to understand that they were just servants that the Lord chose to carry the message. So to deflate this overinflated view that the Corinthians had of them, Paul repeatedly emphasized over and over. He emphasized their status, the servant of Jesus Christ. Um, and also although Paul was among the greatest of the apostles, he humbled himself, and often he said he was the least of the apostles. He let everyone know that uh, he and Apollos were merely servants who had been given the privilege of explaining the the secrets of God, God's secrets. The focus of preachers and and teachers should always be on explaining God's secrets in a way that people can understand and, and respond to. This requires a clear understanding of the message. So uh, Bible teachers and preachers have to uh, be student, constant students of the word. We never um, get beyond, we never graduate from studying the word of God. The, the Bible is a, a lifetime study, so uh, it helps to know the word of God. I mean, it's absolutely essential uh, to be familiar with the word of God in order to be able to, to uh, break it down and explain it. Now, it helps for, for uh, the ministers to speak in the language and, and style and culture of the people being, uh, being addressed. Uh, the, the apostles and Jesus spoken in a plain, everyday, ordinary Greek. Uh, on one occasion, Paul said he had become all things uh, to all people in order to save some of them. That's in 1 Corinthians 9.22. So Paul and Apollos had been put in charge of managing or stewarding God's work of carrying the gospel. They were managers over that and, and good managers had to be faithful. Now, verses two through five, I'm, I'm reading. Now, a person who had, who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. What about me? Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that isn't what matters. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone is faithful. When the Lord comes, he will bring our deepest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. And then God will give to everyone whatever praise is due. So managers, in the old King, uh, King James used the word steward. Stewards and managers are uh, means the same thing. They are those who are put uh, over managing someone's property or, or something important or valuable. So managers and stewards are, are given the responsibility of running the household or, or running the business. A person that is promoted, to stewardship to uh, or management uh, on the basis of faithfulness, performance of his duties, and and um, they've been examined and tested over time. Uh, and then once they have been proven to be reliable, faithful, knowledgeable of the company, and able to run it, then they are promoted. A person is not given that, the trust and responsibility of being a manager until he is proven to be faithful. Faithfulness is a basic requirement for those who uh, want to be a manager uh, in both natural and spiritual things. Faithfulness is a basic requirement. God extends leadership and management opportunities on the basis of faithfulness. Paul said, the Lord put me in the ministry after finding him uh, faithful. Paul, uh, Paul was promoted after the Lord examined him, saw that he was faithful. That's in 1 Timothy uh, one and twelve. So you don't take a person who is slothful, undependable, may not show up, may wreck the company. If you know that they, they, uh, lack the qualities of faithfulness, dependability, reliability, uh, ethical and moral, um, um, if they, if they lack integrity and in, in those things that are critical to, uh, the business, if they're not faithful in these things, uh, then they don't qualify. Now, there are a lot of people who are usurping authority now. They take it upon themselves uh, to be leaders. And uh, a lot of people are teaching the Bible who don't know the Bible. And a lot of people are, are trying to be pastors who have not uh, been good followers. They have not been faithful uh, under some other leader, uh, but they have just taken it upon themselves because they have a good oratory skill, because they're able to speak well, and command uh, attention. They are they're gathering a following, but uh, it is required in stewards that a person is faithful. Once a person is faithful, they may not have uh, as good a, a speaking skills as someone uh, someone else, and someone who may have a big following. But if they are faithful and they know the word and they're able to articulate the word, preach it and teach it, then they qualify. Uh, but Paul admits that he's not entirely qualified to judge his own faithfulness. He understands the complexity of the human heart uh, how difficult it is to, to judge the motives behind our own actions and conduct. We tend to make allowances for ourselves that we don't uh, extend to other people. So even though he has a clear conscience in the end, it, he says, it's the Lord who is going to be the final judge. He's the one that's going to judge my works, judge my heart, and judge my motive. So we can only determine so much about a person based on their faithfulness. We can tell um, what is really, we, we actually can't tell. We can tell from the surface what they're doing, what they're faithful to, and and we can make certain judgments based on that. But we really can't tell about the motives of a person's heart. God will have to be the one who determines motives of the heart when he comes. And Paul warns us not to jump to conclusion about someone else's motives. Uh, it's easy to judge the motives of other people, but it's hard to judge them accurately because we don't know the secrets of, of someone else's heart. We have not walked in their sho- shoes and we don't know their experiences, so um, but we do uh, have the ability to judge someone's capability or, or someone's uh, uh, qualification as far as leadership. If they are faithful in these areas and we can see those areas uh, of faithfulness, then we're able to promote them or not promote them based on that. But, but the final judgment will come down when, uh, when God sits on the throne. Now, we can't judge the motives of people's hearts, but we can determine whether they are qualified to do a certain job. As I just uh, said, we we have to just examine their past performance of faithfulness and reliability and trustworthiness. And, and, And if they demonstrate faithfulness in those areas, then they qualify. Okay, they qualify to be promoted. Now, I'm reading verses six through seven. Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to the scriptures, you won't brag about one of your leaders at the expense of another. What makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? Now, Paul uses the scriptures to build his argument against bragging or boasting about one teacher or leader over another one, okay? Uh, when we promote one up, then we put the other down. The major issue was not the that they were proud of their leaders in this thing. If Paul was really, he wasn't bothered so much about them being proud that they had great leaders. Um, what he was concerned about is how they were arguing and, and bragging and boasting and placing one leader value above another leader value now that's divisive so paul did not want uh, the, them to divide the church over leadership The major issue was not that they were proud of their leaders again but they were placing value one over another um, and paul was on guard against anything that divided the church this is a competitive and and a, a divisive attitude when we say my leader is better than your leader or or we're following this one and and uh they have these qualities that your your leader doesn't have um uh, christ emphasizes working together for a common goal not not division and, and and a competitive nature um nowhere in the bible does uh, does god or christ or the apostles teach competitiveness within the church Competition is not encouraged in the church. Uh, Working together uh, for mutual goals is is always put forth in the church. It's always emphasized in the church, not, not competition. So we have to be careful of breaking down into different groups that compete against each other because this actually flies in the face of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches mutuality. It teaches working together. It teaches cohesiveness. It doesn't encourage so-called rugged individualism. No, it it uh, it teaches unity and emphasizes unity. Uh, uh, God emphasizes to us that we are that we need each other and that we're not complete without each other. And that's why he uses analogies like uh, the body. All the members of the body work together um, to accomplish a certain goal, uh, and then he uses uh, the the analogy of a temple that we're all of bricks, stones set together in, in one great temple. So, Paul was against this division in the church and uh, pastors and leaders have to be careful about setting up things in the church that create a, com- a, a competitive atmosphere. Uh, it may seem harmless, but it but it flies in the face of what the Bible teaches. The Bible always emphasizes oneness, unity, cohesiveness. Okay? Working together, mutuality. So uh we want to be in step with what God is doing and what his agenda is. A common theme throughout the scriptures is is that uh our ultimate uh, uh loyalty and allegiance and human as human beings uh are to be recipients of the grace of God. We use those gifts that God gives us to do the work that God has, has given us to do. Uh, But we're not the sources of those gifts. So that's why Paul said, what do you have? Uh, You can't boast. There's nothing to boast about. Because even the leaders, the gifts that they have, those gifts were given to them. They didn't just uh, acquire them on their own, but God gave uh, gifts of leadership to the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and teachers. So they have nothing to boast about. So um, members of the church don't have anything to boast about in our giftings and our abilities either. God gave us everything that we have. And if God is the giver, then there's no room for boasting. Uh, all every The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. So God should rightly be the recipient of the glory and not some human being for the gifts that we have and the talents and the abilities that we display. Since the Corinthian saints were boasting and dividing themselves into factions— it was obvious that they not only saw the leader that they preferred as better than another leader, they also saw themselves as better than the other saints in the church. And and that really disturbed Paul. And so that's why he's been dealing with that and, and going over it and over it again to make sure that he, he clears that out of the uh, Corinthian church. Now I'm reading verse eight. You think you already have everything you need you're already rich without us. You have become kings. I wish you really were on your thrones already, but then we would be reigning with you. So Paul scolded the Corinthians uh, Christians because they were acting like they were already reigning and ruling with the Lord Jesus Christ. They displayed an air of superiority as if they were better than everyone else. And so Paul wanted to to move them toward humility help them to understand that they we are not reigning yet now there's going to come a time when the saints of God Christians will rule the new world under Christ we will reign with Christ there will be kings and governors and and there will there will be priests in the new kingdom and we will we will rule it under Christ but Paul says it's not time for that yet you haven't arrived to that yet, so don't act like now that you're already reigning. Paul said, of course, I wish you were, because uh, if you were, then the kingdom will have come. Uh, the the, the new, new kingdom would have come with Christ over it. Christ would have returned, and, and, and uh, the, the world would be uh, being ruled in righteousness, and we would have our new bodies. We would have our places of leadership, so Paul looked forward to that. He said, I wish you were uh, already reigning because if that's the case, we would be reigning with you. Uh, but Paul wanted to bring them back down to earth. Now, this passage, uh, verse eight, reminds us that, again, one day Christians will rule. Um, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world, okay? Uh, and then the prophet Daniel said these words, then the sovereignty, the power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. They will rule forever and all rulers will serve and obey them. That's Daniel 7 and 27. So the uh, holy people of the most high are Christians. They are the saints of God. And so we have throughout the scriptures, the promise that we're going to rule the kingdom of God we're going to rule the new the new earth uh, and we're going to rule under christ okay it's going to be given to us uh so Paul understands that and he understands that they understand that and, but uh, but he wanted to remind them that it's not time for that yet uh it is time for us to act in humility Paul acknowledged the fact that the saints will of course rule the world and uh And he taught that himself and he wanted them to have a a heavenly mindset, but he did not want this divisiveness. There will never be a time for pride. There will always be a time for humility, even going into eternity. Um, In his letter to the church at Rome, Paul talked about how the whole creation, even Christians, groan as if we were in the agony of childbirth while we wait for the transformation of things and to be clothed with, clothed with our new glorified bodies. That's in Romans 8, 22 through 23. And so there is going to come a time when Christ is going to make all things new. And there is going to be a peaceful kingdom. Um, and there's not going to be uh, any trouble. And even during the millennia, the first thousand years, uh, we're going to rule upon this earth, cleaned up, uh, Uh, rejuvenated, okay, and and made beautiful again, Uh, but then at the end of that thousand years, he's going to uh, destroy this earth, or it's going to be burned with fire, and then he's going to bring forth new heavens and a new earth, where we will rule with him throughout eternity, so the prophet Isaiah wrote of this future time, he said these words, and I'm reading them, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's Isaiah 2 and 4 in the King James version. Uh, another, uh, uh, according to another of the prophecies from Isaiah, even the animals will be at peace with each other in God's future kingdom. I'm reading in Isaiah, again, Isaiah chapter 11. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard and the goat will be at peace. Calves and yearlings will be safe among lions, and a little child will lead them all. The cattle will graze among bears, cubs uh, cubs and calves will lie down together, and lions will eat grass as the livestock do. Babies will crawl safely among poisonous snakes. Yes. A little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes and pull it out unharmed. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with, with people who know the Lord. That's in Isaiah eleven, six through nine in the New Living Translation the Translation. So it's it's taught throughout Scripture. That, that God's kingdom is going to come to earth. Yes, the kingdom of God is already among us and he is transforming us and he's changing us even right now um, as we live upon the earth. But there is a future time that he's going to come back and take over this world. He's going to rule it in righteousness for a thousand years and there's going to be peace among all, all men, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And there's going to be peace among the animals. There will be no war, there will be no famine and there will not be anything that uh, that troubles us during that thousand years. And of course, Satan will be bound during that time. You can find that in the book of Revelation. But at the end of that thousand years, he'll be loose and he will lead one final rebellion. And at the end of that, Christ will put him away and cast him into the lake of fire. And then he will make new heavens and a new earth, right? Now I'm reading verses nine through 11. But sometimes I think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are well thought of, but we are laughed at. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty without enough clothes to keep us warm. We have endured many beatings and we have no homes of our own. Okay. So Paul is referring to the practice when he says we are like the, um, like those at the end of the display in a, um, at at the uh, end of a parade or prisoners of war. Um, he's talking about that practice which was common in the ancient Roman world. Whenever an army defeated another army, the soldiers would, uh, the victor, the vic- victors would march down the, uh, the main highway, the main street of the city, and uh, in a parade, and at the end of that parade, end of that procession would be the defeated enemy in chains. They would walk down, uh, parading down through the the streets, uh, showing their, um, their victims, uh, the enemy who had lost the war. Uh, showing the plunder that they'd taken some of it and they would just uh parade themselves down and it would be a humiliation for the for the uh, losers the enemy those people would be publicly humiliated for crowds of cheering people they would be spared only to provide amusement for the people by uh, either being publicly executed or uh, by using the arena put to death in the arena and the, the gladiators would would, would uh, kill them, lions or, or whatever, for the ent- entertainment of the crowd. Paul used this analogy to compare it with the pride of the Corinthians and, and how they had exalted themselves over others in the church as if they were victors. Paul and his company were suffering public shame and humiliation while they went out and preached the gospel. For preaching the gospel, they were being persecuted and and, and sometimes while preaching the gospel, they were hungry. They didn't have enough. They didn't have enough clothing. They didn't have enough food, but they, they went for it with what they had. But the Corinthians were sitting back smug, well fed. At least those who were uh, t- uh, taking pride in, in leadership, they were, uh, they were as if they had already arrived. And so Paul and his missionary crew, um, were, were, uh, critical of them and and the way that they were acting. Paul was disappointed with that lack of spiritual growth and and development that the Corinthians were exhibiting. Their worldly conduct and behavior caused them to drift from conformity to Christ, conforming to the character and, and the work of Christ, which is humility. In their blindness, these Corinthians received false teachers and false prophets and in some instances, they gave more respect to the false teachers and the false prophets that were coming among them than they did to Paul and, and his, uh, his missionary company. So uh, they were allowing these false teachers to come in and welcoming them in and, and giving them great respect. So this uh, certainly hurt Paul um, and it, uh, it, it troubled him. Uh, And not just because they were not receiving the respect, but because the Corinthians were on the wrong track and they wanted to correct them. Now I'm reading verses 12 through 14. We've worked wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We respond gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash right up to the present moment. I'm not writing these things to shame you. But to warn you as beloved children, okay So Paul had been imitating the character and teachings of Christ. Uh, he had accepted the suffering uh, and sometimes and, sometime, uh, and, and, and the, uh, when he was cursed, he did not curse back. Um, he just embraced the suffering that comes and sometimes comes with being a Christian. He blessed those that cursed him. He blessed and he did not curse like Jesus said. Uh, And and he had been living, like Jesus said, but the Corinthians were violating these uh, these teachings of Christ. True Christian character is tested and revealed during times of of adverse uh, situations and, and circumstances. If a person chooses to conduct himself in a way that is in line with the teachings of Christ, even during hardship and difficulty, then that person is proving to be developed in faith and obedience. The teachings of Christ should shape our character and and develop our conduct, shape our conduct. So Paul modeled that kind of conduct and values um, that he had been teaching, that he had gotten from Christ and the other, uh, well, Paul got his teaching directly from Christ, uh, and uh, but he confirmed it with the other apostle. And he had been teaching that and living that. So he wanted to urge the Corinthians to do the same. Corinthians had lost sight of the, those teachings and they were getting into flesh and into self and, and, and beginning to act like the world selfish and prideful for so Paul was seeking to humble them and bring them back again. Uh, now I'm reading verses 15 through 17 for well, even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father for well, I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I ask you to follow my example and do as I do. That is the very reason I'm sending Timothy to help you do this. For he is my beloved and trustworthy, trustworthy child in the Lord. He will remind you of what I teach about Christ Jesus in all the churches wherever I go. So Paul reminded the saints at Corinth that no one has their interest at heart like he does. There were many people who would come in and teach, but they they had many teachers, but they only had one father. No one would make the kind of commitment and sacrifice uh, for them that he was willing to make. So Paul had preached to them. He preached the gospel to them, and through his preaching, they came to Christ. So they were, he was uh, their spiritual father. Paul was the one who had risked his life to, to, to reach them and, and bring them to Christ. And so uh, Paul didn't want them throwing their loyalties to just any old teachers that came along and especially those, those false teachers who came along, they had to be tried. And, and, and since he was their spiritual father, uh, he wanted them to trust him and trust his judgment and, and allow him to help them to, to discern the, the teachers and the pre and the preachers that were coming through because he had, their interests at heart, he would do nothing to harm them. But that wasn't true about all of the, uh, the teachers who were coming through. Some were were coming through and making me- merchandise of the people, taking advantage of them and teaching the wrong thing. So every pastor wants, uh, wants to be able to lead the people and, and uh, every pastor, true pastor, wants the people to trust their judgment because every true pastor uh, has the heart of the people and will not do anything deliberately to, to hurt them. Um, Paul knew he could be uh, 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 counted on to lead them, to lead them in the right way. And so uh, he, he when he couldn't be there, he sent someone else that was trusted, Timothy. And Paul knew that Timothy could be trusted to follow his teachings and lead the people in the right way. So, And by mentioning Timothy's trustworthiness, uh, Paul was emphasizing and exalting the value uh, uh, and faithfulness of of trustworthiness and, and, uh, and faithfulness. He was exalting that. He was saying Timothy is trustworthy. Timothy is faithful. And he wanted the uh, uh, Corinthian saints to, to embrace these same qualities. So he wanted them to know that it's not enough just to have gifts. The Corinthian church had gifts. Uh, but they lacked character in so many ways. And so Paul was trying to develop them. If you have gifts without character, you'll go places, but you won't be able to stay there. Uh, if you have gifts, but no quality of character, your gifts can take you up, but uh, places that your character, uh your lack of character won't be able to keep you. So there, there will be a great fall. There will be a an embarrassment to the body of Christ, because people who lack character, uh, who lack faithfulness and loyalty and devotion and and truthfulness and and all of these qualities of character that make for a good leader, a good manager, a good steward, people who lack those uh, uh, qualities of character can gather a following, but they shipwreck them. Uh, And so Paul was emphasizing the character that Timothy had the character that he himself had and the character that he was trying to instill in, in, the, in the Corinthians. Now, verses 18 through 21. I know that some of you have been become arrogant thinking I will never visit you again, but I will come and soon if the Lord will let me and then I will find out whether these arrogant people are just big talkers or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk. It is living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come with punishment and scolding or should I come with quiet love and gentleness? So evidently some members of the Corinthian church were questioning Paul's commitment to them and his willingness to visit them. These rebellious saints were challenging Paul's authority and effectiveness. They were puffed up with pride and, and, and uh, it and in their own authority in the church. They, they acted as if their authority was equal to that of, of the apostles. Um, it's possible that these people were part of the group who, had, uh, who declared themselves to be followers of Apollos or, or, or Cephas, that is Peter. Uh, when Paul found himself unable to travel to Corinth, he couldn't get there when he wanted to because he was somewhere else uh, preaching and teaching and trying to minister to others who needed him. Um, so when he couldn't get there, they seized on the opportunity to, to challenge his devotion to them, their, his commitment and his love to them. They spoke out against his authority and, and troubled the church with that attitude and conduct. So Paul responded to that report about these rebellious and arrogant Christians with a warning that he would be coming soon and that he would deal sternly with them when he came. He he threatened to use his authority to exert church discipline upon those who were arrogant and refused to respond to his correction. Now, Paul was not a man who made empty threats. He had the power of the Holy spirit behind him. He was not timid about dealing with rebels or or those who drifted into error. And on one occasion, he even publicly rebuked the apostle Peter, uh, uh, who had caved in to, to pressure from the Jews to begin to segregate himself from the, the Gentile Christians. And and Paul called him a hypocrite to his face. And and in front of everybody, he rebuked him. So um, Paul was a man who, who was stern when he had to be. Uh, he wasn't timid, and he could deal with problems in the church, uh, and he wasn't uh, timid about doing that. Paul warned the saints that if necessary, he would come to them with a chastening rod. He was letting them know that like a father, he could be stern or he could be gentle. It was his preference to be gentle, but their attitude would be the determining factor there. So he gave them ample warning and certainly um, Paul was a man's man and an apostle um, par excellence. Well, that brings us to the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In our next session, we will study chapter five. Well, if, you, if you're ever in the Indianapolis area, if you're ever here visiting or possibly if you live here, I'd like to encourage you to come and, and visit us at New Direction Church where my son is the pastor, uh, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., and he's doing an excellent job leading the church. He's the senior pastor. Our East Campus is located 5330 East 38th Street. And our North Campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. For service time, visit our website at ndcbetterlife.org. Please join me next week at this this, uh, same time for another session of teaching through the Bible when we will go into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Until then, may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune in to our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast.